Go with me to James 5, would you? James chapter 5. Many years ago, doesn't that make me sound old? Many years ago, I feel like I'm getting older. But like you, I'm trying hard not to. When I was a pastor to a, um, in a I was a pastor in a church in southern Ohio, and, I, and my primary responsibility was to the youth. I was an assistant pastor, and boy, did I not know how good I had it. It was a lot easier being the assistant pastor than it is being the only pastor. Okay. One summer, we took the youth leaders and myself. We took some of our teens uh, on a, it was about a three or four day camping trip and the, the campgrounds we chose had a little go-kart track and I couldn't wait. I always wanted to be a race car driver, it just never worked out. So I try to mind myself and set the cruise when I'm driving somewhere, otherwise I find myself going faster and faster, right? You never do that, right? We saw the little go-kart track, and the, and the teens and I went one night to the go-kart track, and we all jumped in our little tiny cars with really slow, you know, the gas pedals were like blocked, so you couldn't push them all the way down like you would have wanted to. And all the way, like they thought we were going to bump each other or something, there was a bumper that went all the way around the car. And of course, since there was a bumper all the way around the car, I did my fair share of bumping, and then all of a sudden it seemed like all the teens wanted to run me off the track. And so they wanted to hit my car with their car as hard as they could, and of course, in return, what should I do? I, I should return the favor and try as hard as I could to drive them off the track, right? What do you feel like doing when, as a follower of Christ, someone bumps you too hard? You ever get the feeling that as a follower of Christ, you've been harmed or, or mistreated or taken advantage of? And when you feel that way, how would you like to respond? Now, you don't have to tell me, because I know how you'd like to respond. You'd like to respond like I would like to respond. You want to get even, right? Our natural response is like, I want it like in the go-kart, I want to get even. I want to return the favor. But instead of getting even... The Lord wants his children to forgive. Because just as we have noted already this morning in our time of worship over the Lord's Supper, Jesus didn't come to get even. He came to be a servant. He came to die. He came to forgive. God also wants his children to learn to be patient. And that is what we were seeing last week when we came here to chapter 5. In James, that is just what we saw here, that James writes in chapter 5 to people who were suffering, Christians who were suffering, all the while there were godless and sinful rich who were taking advantage of them and were prospering all the more. And in fact, what James says here in chapter 5 is a reminder of what we heard him say in chapter 1. In chapter 1, in verse 12, James wrote, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has 
promised to those who love him. And you heard me read this earlier in Psalm 84 and verse 11. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. And those are all reminders of of God's desire for his children to learn to patiently wait for the Lord faithfully obeying God and not being hasty to take matters into their own hands in retaliation for being bumped too hard or mistreated or persecuted. So to that end, we heard James in chapter 5, our last time here together in verses 7 through 9. Go back up and look at those verses 7 through 9 where we were last week where he says, Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains? You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. And now James, like a good teacher, offers examples for us to follow because he's saying be patient, and we're like saying, well, how? (laughs) How do we learn that? And so... James, anticipating the question, gives examples. Look at verses 10 and 11. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remained steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. So here's James, and after instructing believers to be patient, establish their hearts, that is, grow their faith to properly handle mistreatment, that is, waiting on the Lord, being patient, trusting that God is in control, knowing that he is only about our good. James next anticipates the question, but how, James? How do I learn to practice patience when I'm being mistreated, when the only thing I want to do is find some justice or I want to get even. And his answer to that question is, first of all, to look to and learn from the example of others. And we have wonderful examples in God's word, don't we? And we have wonderful examples in the history of the church. And maybe you have living and breathing examples in your life that you can look to to be encouraged. And James says, look to and learn from the example of others. That's what he's saying here in verse 10. Look at verse 10 again. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, believers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Go back to the Old Testament, believers. Look at what the prophets endured and look how they remained steadfast as they spoke for the Lord. When suffering as a servant of Christ, one of the wonderful examples that we have as believers are the prophets, the prophets who spoke for God. You see, they were chosen by God to speak to men just what God gave them to say. And what what they did was they fearlessly took the message of God and communicated it without playing favorites. They took the message to those who were of little means and to those who were of great means, and they delivered it equally in obedience to God. And obviously that would make them unpopular, wouldn't it? 
They were unpopular. In fact, it went much farther than being merely unliked. They were often despised. They were often ridiculed and persecuted for their unwavering obedience. And often to those watching, if we were there, we would have said, these guys are failures. It doesn't seem like they're getting anything accomplished. But God wasn't judging them by their popularity. And God doesn't judge you by your popularity. He was judging them by their obedience, and that's the lesson for all who follow Christ. Serve God, patiently enduring mistreatment for being an obedient follower of the King of Kings. And if you are an obedient follower of the King of Kings, you will will face opposition at some point. You can count on it. God's word reminds us of that and, and equips us for that. And with the example of faithful prophets as our guide as well to equip us for that. So James wants believers to know that they can and should take encouragement and learn from the prophets spoken of in the Old Testament. They are powerful examples to us to follow today. We look to them and say, look how they endured through suffering. Why? Because they were obeying their master, the king. They were obeying the Lord. And note verse 11. They were speaking for God, and they were blessed for their obedience. Verse 11, Behold, we consider those blessed who remained steadfast. And by blessed here, James means happy. So, persecuted, but faithful. Persecuted, but steadfast. And as a result, blessed, happy. And we think, No way. How is that possible? Persecuted, but happy? (laughs) How can that be? Yes, for those who obey the Lord and serve with God's strength at work in them, there is blessing. There is joy. In fact, that's what we hear Paul saying as he's praying for the believers at Colossae in Colossians 1, verse 11, when he says, May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with, do you know the next word? Joy. (laughs) For all endurance and patience with joy. How? By God's strength, with God's help. There is blessed, happy joy for those who find their strength in the Lord as they patiently endure and remain steadfast in their faith. With their faith firmly fixed in Christ, there is a place for joy in the believer's life, even when they're suffering. While suffering for the cause of Christ, there is room for joy by God's help. And James wants believers to know that they can find great encouragement. Great encouragement, great help when they look to the prophets who've gone before speaking faithfully for the Lord And and they suffered for being obedient, but they endured. And they remained faithful by God's strength and with God's help in their faith in God. So James says here in verse 11, look at it again. Behold, we consider those blessed who remained steadfast. In other words, well, look at the rest of the verse, verse 11. That leads to his next example that believers have to take heart in. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, 
how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. In other words, when you're suffering, doesn't make sense. Here's another example. Job. <laughs> right? When your suffering doesn't make sense, again, go back to God's word. And you can travel back to the Old Testament. And you can open the book of Job. And you can look at the life of a man named Job whose life and trials and troubles and loss and heartache and grief didn't make sense. Right? If you know Job's story, you know that in human terms, it doesn't make any sense at all. Job feared God after all. He was obedient to God, and he turned from wrongdoing. Says Job 1.1, There was a man in the land of us whose name was Job, and that man was blameless and upright, one who feared God and turned away from evil. But later, we travel into chapter 1 of Job a little further. In verses 8 through 12, 12, we read this, And the Lord said to Satan, because Satan came to to accuse Job, saying to God, does he, does he really love you? Or does he just love you because you're good to him? And the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? That there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil? And that's where we hear Satan answering the Lord, saying, Does Job fear God for no reason? Have you not put a hedge around him and his house and all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands and his possessions have increased in the land. But stretch out your hand and touch all that he has and he will curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, behold, all that he has is in your hand. Only against him do not stretch out your hand. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. And in human terms, we say, That doesn't make any sense because we don't have God's perspective, do we? And the rest of the chapter is tragedy upon tragedy in Job's life, where Satan is permitted by God to destroy Job's property and take the lives of his own children. And that's why I say that in human terms, the story of Job doesn't make sense, does it? We look and say, but... Job feared God. Even God says of Job, there is none like him on the earth who fears God and turns away from evil. And and you and I say, well, certainly this makes no sense that Job should lose all that he had. He doesn't deserve this. What could be the purpose of the Lord in Job's great loss and suffering? And maybe to understand, we'll need God's perspective. And maybe to understand, we We won't have a clear perspective as God's perspective this side of heaven. Marvin Williams writes, Willard S. Boyle, Nobel Prize winner in physics, was the co-inventor of the electronic eye behind the digital camera and the Hubble telescope. He was in the market for a new digital camera. The salesman tried to explain the complexity of the camera to Boyle, but stopped because he felt it was too complicated for him to understand. Boyle then bluntly said to the salesman, no need to explain, I invented it. (laughs) Williams goes on to say, after God allowed Satan to test Job by taking away his family, his health, and his possessions, Job lamented the day of his birth. In the following chapter, Job questioned why God would allow him to endure such suffering. Then, with divine bluntness, 
God reminded Job that he invented life and created the world. God invented him, and God called him to rethink what he had said. In drawing attention to his sovereign power and the depth of his wisdom displayed everywhere on earth, God exposed the immensity of Job's ignorance. Williams goes on to say, if we're tempted to tell God how life should work, let's remember he invented it. May he help us to humbly acknowledge our ignorance and to rely on him, the creator of the universe. And he's right. We look at persecution, we look at opposition, we look at difficulty in our lives because we're followers of Christ, and we say, how can this be? When our troubles don't make sense, remember Job, right? We likely need to admit here that we have been tempted to tell God how life should work, right? After all, we just know we don't deserve the treatment that we're receiving, When we're wronged, we just know this can't be right. This shouldn't be for me. Certainly, God has me confused with somebody else. But then we hear James say in verse 11, You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. And in that truth, we are reminded that God is sovereign. God is compassionate and merciful. God is is sovereign. He's in control of all. All good things. We heard it from James. All good things come from above, right? And we have this reminder that God is in control. He is compassionate and merciful. And what he brings into our lives or allows into our lives is only for our good or and his glory, right? And in this truth, we're reminded that God is in control. He is sovereign. And if we're going to learn to endure and remain steadfast in our faith while suffering for the sake of being followers of Christ, then we've got to trust the Lord. We've got to believe in his word. We have to take steps of obedience. We we have to know he knows best. When things don't seem to make sense, we have to remember, remind ourselves, but God knows best. And just as we observed the Lord's Supper earlier, the death of Christ in human terms made no sense, did it? It didn't make any sense to the disciples. If we had been there, we would have been right with them. This doesn't make any sense. But God, in his sovereignty, sent his son to suffer the agony and anguish of a cruel death on the cross and then to rise from the grave. And because God saw fit, to do what human beings couldn't make sense of, we have forgiveness of sins. Is that incredible? And we praise God that it doesn't make sense. But thank God he's in control, and he is compassionate and merciful. Mark DeHaan writes, Few unbroken lives in this world are useful to God. Few men and women can fulfill their hopes and plans without some interruption and disappointment along the way. Man's disappointments are often God's appointments. 
And the things we believe are tragedies may be the very opportunities through which God chooses to exhibit his love and grace. We have but to follow these lives to the end to see that people who have been broken become better and more effective Christians than if they had carried out all their own plans and purposes. So he says, are you, my friend, being broken today? Has the dearest thing in your life been torn away? Then remember that if you could see the purpose of it all from God's standpoint, you would praise the Lord. The best things that come to us are not those that accrue from having our way, but by letting God have his way. Though the way of testing and trial and sorrow often seem hard and cruel, it is the way of God's love and in the end will be the best for us. It's hard for us to say amen to that, isn't it? But he's right. So James is teaching us, just as we see the in these two verses here in James 5 today, look to and learn from the example of others who endured suffering and they remained faithful. How? By God's strength at work in them as they obeyed. And when your suffering doesn't make sense, remember Job and like Job, trust God. Because God knows what he is doing. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we come before you with this necessary reminder. I, I can't think of a time when this isn't necessary to be reminded that what you do is right and true. And you are a compassionate and merciful God, and we praise you and thank you for that. And I pray that you would help us, just as we've heard the challenge from James today. God, help us to look to your word. Help us to learn from the example of others who have gone before us, who endured suffering for the cause of the gospel and remained faithful because they were being obedient to you. God, help us to be obedient to you no matter what happens, knowing that you are in control. And, what, and whatever you bring or whatever you permit is, is part of your plan, and you are using it in our lives to grow us and shape us and mold us into the people that you long for us to be as we humble ourselves before your word and obey. And God, I pray, help us when there are times in our lives, and there will be those times, when we look and think, this doesn't make any sense. Oh God, help us to know that to you it does. It does make sense. And if we could just see from your perspective, we would, we would fully know and understand, and we would praise you. And so, Lord, I pray, help us to praise you for, for who you are in our lives. Help us to remember Job and help us to trust you. Help us to remember when we're facing opposition, persecution, ridicule, and difficulty for having chosen to follow the Lord Jesus Christ and be obedient. God, help us to keep our eyes firmly fixed on you and on your word and on your goodness. And help us to praise you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.